So I, uh, I'm sitting in the front, and I get a message from Nix, and she says, your car's not starting. I swapped cars knew, knowing my car wasn't starting, so I plugged in those slow charger battery chargers because it's winter and whatever, no excuses. Anyway, my car wasn't starting. I had to get you, so I chose the car that was starting. How's that for a good father? Good start on Father's Day. But uh, we'll repair things after church. Then I'm in the front, and so I gave her an hour because I had to get you a bit earlier. And I said, the car will be ready by the time you get you. Get a message at 9.35. We're singing our first song, and the car still isn't starting. So I think, what can I do? And I said, get an Uber. Don't have Uber app. Oh, my gosh. Okay. What do I do next? She says, I'm going to walk here. I say, it's going to take too long. You can't walk here. You, my message isn't that long. And so then I lean over. I walk across. I go, Diego's the man. So I lean over, I go, Diego, is there any chance you could go fetch Nick's and the girls? Without a, a thinking, he goes, yeah, of course I can. And uh, runs up, goes to the back. As he's exiting, and I'm at the front, I realize it's Father's Day. There are two kids that are praying in the front. One is Tam and Dean's kid. The other is Diego's daughter. And he has graciously driven out to go and uh, get my kids, and he misses his daughter praying his prayer. So Diego, a round of applause to you. Sorry about that. That's the last time I'll apologize. I'm talking about courage today, and maybe it's a good moment to talk about courage, and it's Father's Day, and in many ways, we do often isolate Father's Day to this limited nuclear family, and we say that's what fathering is all about, but I think Diego probably reminds us beautifully today that fathering is not primarily about creating a little coop of people in your pen that you look after and you leave the rest to their own devices. Fathering is about a people who pick up the mantle of love and care and protection and who take on the reality of the fact that life is difficult and courage is necessary if we are going to raise people up in courage, if we're going to raise people up into maturity. And it's often not a case of biological fathering. It's often a case of becoming the kinds of men that God would have us be so that we can bring people up into maturity. And so when I speak today into this concept of fathering, I hope that you as ladies uh, here, because we need to be courageous uh, at, at, at every level, but I'm speaking to, to men who don't have kids. I'm speaking to people who live in a world that simply requires courage. And courage is different from bravery. I did a bit of studying, and, and it really comes to, uh, I came to this conclusion that bravery is a trait that some people have. Courage is a decision that everyone needs to make over and over and over. Courage is something that we can grow in, something we can develop, as to bravery. But God calls us to a life of courage. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want to let you know that courage is part of the curriculum of life. There aren't some courageous people. There aren't a few who've lived courageously in the past. Courage is your lot in life. You're made for courage. It is part of what you're made to live in. It's part of the, the pool you're meant to swim in all of your life. But something interesting happened in the, the sort of evolution of courage. 
You see, up until about the 19th century, so you're talking the 1800s, the, the sort of enlightenment years where people started to realize that actually this human self was something that we could develop and there became this new individualism that came over the world. Up until about that time, faith and courage were very similar. There, there, was, there was a sense that if you expressed your faith in brave ways, you were a courageous person. And then slowly but surely, over the last 150 years, faith and courage began to part ways. They almost divorced each other. And courage became a trait that was totally separate. Let me give you a few reasons why I think this happened. You see, in the early start of the 20th century, faith and courage were connected. And, and faith and courage were connected to the common good. So people had great faith because God had called them as a nation, as a people, under God to do great exploits uh, in His name. And then what happened was that these, war, these wars started. And Uncle Sam said, we want you. You remember that moment? None of us do, but we know it in history. Learn about these moments where suddenly courage was to go to the battlefield. It still was for the common good, but now it was about a patriotic endeavor to keep the, the, the Western civilization outside of the, the, the kind of uh, over leadership of, of any evil dictators. It was for freedom. It was for national pride. It was about being courageous, going to the front lines because the, the, the people needed it. The allies needed it. But it wasn't deeply connected to faith. And so this first moment of a detachment, there was still a sense of the common good. You've got to be courageous. You go to war. You're a brave, courageous person. But faith was slightly detached. It was just a little bit of the beginnings of this departure. In come the 60s. Anybody alive in the 60s? Cool. I want to hear some stories of the 60s. It must have been fascinating. The flower power years. And, and what happened in the 60s was more profound than just a couple of Woodstock festivals and some uh, guys named the Beatles who sang great songs. The 60s was a monumental moment in human history where suddenly people realized that they were the kind of people, well, human beings decided that to express yourself was the new frontier of courage. Self-expression, individual expression. There was a war happening in Vietnam, and the greatest expression of courage was to not go. It was to stay. It was to become the kind of person who could express oneself however you wanted. And it became the sexual revolution, and it was all about the individual. And so courage became not just about the common good. In fact, if you're at war, I'm staying back. Because I believe that I have uh, my own right to express myself however I want. And so courage was no longer now about doing something for the common good. In fact, it was so detached from faith and the common good that it was about me and what I can do for me and how I can express me. How much does that sound like 2022? Courage is about what we can do. We get applause for things that no one else will ever benefit from. In fact, the big thing people go is, who cares what I do? It doesn't affect you. There is a massive divorce. Courage and faith are no longer married together. But in the Bible, in the scriptures we're going to look at today, courage and faith were two sides of the same coin. Exactly the same expression of what it means to be human. 
Nowadays, you see people riding big waves. You see people uh, going on the moon, which was one of the great exploits of kind of the, the, the Cold War after the 60s. And it was all about human expression. And these were the brave. These were the courageous. I want to suggest to you today that the Bible doesn't teach that that is the primary expression of courage. That courage has a whole different version or expression as the scriptures teach it. It's a lot more ordinary, it's a lot more mundane, and it is deeply connected to the faith story that God has for us. And the need for courage is inbuilt in each one of us. It's inbuilt in each one of us. You actually are a happier person when you are doing things outside of your comfort zone, when you are pushing yourself to the limits. It's something inbred in us that we're, we, we, our lives, when we are under-challenged, begin to become a little dislocated, a little fractured, a little disillusioned. That's why lockdown in some ways was tricky because we were under-challenged in the places where we needed challenge. We needed to be socially challenged. We need to be pushed out of our comfort zones. Stuck at home in isolation is not good for humanity. Trying to express oneself without a community. John Tyson writes a book, Intentional Father. I'll mention it a few more times because fathers, I want us to all start this journey. Not alone, not by ourselves, together in groups. I'm going to call us and we're going to start some journeys of, of learning to, to uh, raise a generation of children because we as dads are intentional. And he talks about the, he laments the sad fact that there's just no longer any initiation in the Western world, this rite of passage kind of culture. Meaning that men in the West kind of don't really know when they've become men. How do we know? And he quotes Ronald Rollheiser who says, do you know what's really killing our people today, our young people today? The answer is self-initiation. When there's no older generation intentionally ushering boys into manhood. When there's no tribe of mentors or fathers taking their kids along a predetermined path, many of our young men try to establish themselves, attempting to walk through the wilderness of adolescence with the hope that somehow they'll find their way into adulthood on their own. What a tragedy that we have left our children not to be initiated, not to be brought into adulthood ourselves, but by their peers. And so what ends up happening is they try their first joints. They push their, their sexuality to the next level, and a bunch of 16-year-olds high-five each other afterwards and go, well done. And they ask the question, am I now a man? Is that courage? Is that what it means? And there's this vacuum of dads and men around who say, no, we're going to do some stuff in our community, and we're going to show some courage to bring a generation through who will hit 18, who will hit 21, and they will be able to put their shoulders back. And they'll say, no, my buddy didn't tell me who, what courage is. No, no, my friends at school did not teach me what it means to be a man or a woman. My dad and my mum they modeled it, and they walked it with me. And I'll tell you what happened when I was 13, and when I was 16, and when I was 18. I went here, I did this, they told me this, they spoke me through this, and I know who I am because they took me there. Sound good? It's part of our journey. And so today I want to 
speak to us about courage because it's going to take courage in a world like ours to raise people who are going to be courageous and who are going to grow into maturity. So we go back to uh, Joshua. We're in the book of Joshua. It is the very first chapter. It's probably the most famous chapter on courage. And God has had my number on this beautiful concept of courage for probably 10 weeks now. Came back from the UK and realized that God was speaking to me about the need for courage. That courage is not something you just have. It's something you grow in. And I began to study this lovely passage, and I would encourage you to take your time through it in your own time. It says this, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, so here we've got Moses, who had led the people of Israel out of Egypt. Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. It's a terrible situation. They're struggling through, and God uses Moses to take them out, cross the Red Sea. They get to the the edge of the promised land, and they're about to go into the promised land, and the people get terrified. They send some spies. Two of the spies come back and say, we can do this thing. Courage. Ten of the spies say, you won't believe how big the giants are in that land. And the people shiver and shudder, and they're terrified. And God waits a full generation for these people to pass so that he can take the people of God into the promised land. And uh, Joshua is going to be the one who will lead them. So Joshua was one of the spies who came back and said, we can do this thing. And now he's getting an opportunity. But he's, it's an interesting situation because Moses, the servant of the Lord, has died. And the Lord says to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you... Imagine that moment. Now then you. Me? Yes, you. You. And all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Are you picking up a pattern here? Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people. I'll stop there. Notice how courage here seems to mobilize Joshua. It seems to, from the moment in verse 10, it says, so Joshua got up and he did something. Courage often, in fact, I think always, is faith in action. It's about knowing what God is doing in the world and then doing something accordingly. 
I recently uh, was reading and, and listening, and I, I heard somebody basically say, courage is the opposite of self-pity. Self-pity is to hear this and to go, oh my goodness, we've tried this one before, you know. 40 years ago, I was there. We, we, I tried to mobilize these people. Don't you remember? And when we, we crossed the river, but it was just 12 of us, and even that was difficult. 10 of them came back all wimpy and terrified. What are you thinking? You know, we've done this. It's actually quite comfortable. We've set up. We've got 40 years here. This has been going pretty well. Why are you sending us across there? It's actually quite tough to lead these people. Didn't you see how tough it was for Moses? Why would you send me? Courage says no to self-pity. It says I'm not the victim of my circumstances. In fact, quite the opposite. I'm a person who has been called by a loving God to do what only I can do because he's called me to do it. I don't know if you noticed that, but courage and faith in the story are entirely overlapping. Did you pick that up? So God gives a promise, i.e. God says, I'll be with you. That's where you need faith. Now you go and be courageous. There's this amazing sense that if God says something and you act, that's where the courage is needed. What's the difference between courage and faith? I think it's very little. I think courage is the ability to simply say and realize it is difficult and I don't necessarily want to, but I will because he says I must, because he's calling me to it and because he promises that it will be good. And I want to remind you today, I want you to try to get this important fact together that your expression of your faith will often be an expression of courage. It's often how courage uh, manifests in your life is through living out your faith. It's through taking the promises of God and starting to believe them through action. But then also notice that courage requires a calling and it requires vision. Moses uh, had this vision, and then he hands it over to Joshua that there is land for the people of Israel to lay hold of. It's theirs. Joshua is not like this military tyrant who wants to just move over and obliterate the, the nations. He's a person with a vision who's been given it by God himself. It's a vision that goes all the way back to Genesis where God came to Adam and Eve, and he said, I want you to have dominion. I want you to cause flourishing in the world. I want you to extend Eden across the planet. And of course, they didn't extend Eden well at all. Eden didn't move forward. In fact, they, they shut Eden off. They decided to rebel against God and caused uh, pain and thorns and thistles to come about. And so this moment comes about where God says, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to bring Eden back to humanity. And I'm going to do it starting with Abraham, and I'm going to promise Abraham this land, and out of in this land, we are going to bring flourishing back to the world. And Abraham gets a promise, and he hands it over to Isaac, to Jacob, and then, of course, to the 12 sons. And those 12 sons live in Egypt, and they become slaves in Egypt, and Moses comes, and he calls them out, and God fulfills. He carries on this promise that he is going to restore Eden back to the world so that the people of God can show the world that he is God, and that they can cause flourishing in the world. He is the only one who can truly do this thing. He is the God over all things. And so God plans a people to show his goodness to the world. You see, there's a vision and there's calling. 
And the same is true for your life, that just like Joshua had this vision that he's going to this promised land and he needs to lay a hold of it because God has called him to restore Eden and to bring humanity back to God, you should have a sense of calling and vision over your life. That you too have an inheritance and that you too have something that God has called you to lay a hold of and that there is something that he's, he's called you to, to see in your future that is yours and yours alone to, to walk with a group of people to take hold of. I think of Paul writing to the Philippians and he says this, we are to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid a hold of us. There is this sense that there is this beautiful teaching that when you put your faith in Jesus, you get beautifully saved into his kingdom. There is nothing you do to earn his beautiful love. It is the beautiful death and resurrection of Jesus, his death on your behalf, his life lived on your behalf. It is a great exchange. You trust him and he gives you his righteousness as though you had never sinned and you live in his kingdom as a child of promise under his love. But he doesn't stop there. We are then given promises over our lives. We are given a purpose. There are good works prepared in advance for us to do, which means that you live as a child who's got an inheritance in the kingdom of God that you and you alone are to take hold of. It's a lovely thought. It's something that I hope captures your imagination. Because if you don't, you won't need courage, and you'll find yourself doing all kinds of other things with a kind of quasi-courage. You can start businesses, and you can make lots of money, or you can try different ventures, and you can do all sorts of things. But God is calling us to an inheritance, to lay hold of that for which Jesus took a hold of us, says Philippians 3. That means that your life has been laid a hold of, if you put your faith in Jesus. He's taken hold of you. He said, I have now won you. Now I have won you some land. I've won you some stuff that you need to lay hold of. It's relational. It's about bringing redemption and restoration to friendships. It's about bringing restoration. It's about your fathering and the kind of kids that you are going to raise. It's the kind of business that you're going to be a part of. It's the kind of people and person that you're becoming. Jesus says, I am holding you. There is so much inheritance for you to lay hold of, but you need to, with my hand holding yours, press on to take hold of that for which I have taken a hold of you. That's this beautiful concept of inheritance. It's God's gift to us to, to lay a hold of it. You cannot take hold of it and still scrape into eternity, says Corinthians. You can still sneak in, it says, as, as through the fire. You can still get in and go, oh, you know what? I just sat on my butt and did nothing. And you know what? God's grace was good to me. Cool. James warns against that, right? We've been doing that for a while. But you can. But there's something better. There's an inheritance, says Paul and so many of the New Testament writers. There's something to lay hold of. Joshua got it, and he knew that he needed courage to lay a hold of it. And I want to suggest there's five frontiers of courage. I'm talking to you as fathers, but I'm talking to all of us today. Five frontiers of courage for us all to realize that we are called to, that we need to lay hold of. There is inheritance for us. Firstly, there's the outward frontier of courage. 
the outward frontier of courage. Notice how Joshua is called to cross the river into the land, to get ready, to be careful to obey. There's this sense of keeping the book of the law always on your lips. He's called to go do something. There is some practical stuff in your and my life, just like Joshua's, that we are going to need courage for. Sometimes it's as simple as just getting your emails done. You're just bad at admin, but you know that that's part of your life. You've got to do it well. You've got to get those lunches ready for the next day because your kids are going to wake up and they're going to school, and it's going to require courage because everything in you wants to put your feet up, but you've got to do it. There's some things in life that if you've got an inheritance, you've been given kids to raise, you've been given people to love, you've been given responsibilities, you've just got some outward practical stuff that you need to do. Joshua would have had to do some stuff. He had to clean his own boots. He had to do his own uh, you know, washing. He had to make his own bed, as uh, one famous person says. Some stuff that only you can do. It's your responsibility. And sometimes it requires courage just to do those basics, just to get it done, just outwardly looking around and going, I've got stuff, I need to make my own bed. Your inheritance sometimes lies uh, tangled into just some of the basics of practically getting the right stuff done, getting to bed on time, waking up at a reasonable hour, making sure that you've got some disciplines, you're reading stories to your kids before they go to bed. Some of those basic, outward, practical disciplines that build upon life day after day, year after year, that become a part of your inheritance because you courageously just face them. I love my kids. I love parenting them. But I don't always love bedtime. I am so tired by 7 o'clock. I have like this REM cycle that drops me at about 6.30. And I sometimes find myself trying to read bedtime stories and my eyes do not want to play the game. But I've got to do it because there's no one else who's being called to read bedtime stories to my kids but me. There's no one else who can do it. There's no one else whose voice before bed, hearing them say, I love you, will count quite like mine as their father. If you're a mom, there's no motherly voice quite like that. It's part of your responsibility. It's part of what you are called to encourage. And so we just do it. There's outward courage, but there's also inward courage. That's the next frontier of courage. Sometimes it's about actually realizing that we've got some of our biggest challenges that live and follow us right inside of our hearts and our minds. I think of Joshua and I think how it starts, Moses, my servant, is dead. This was his mentor. This was his father in the faith. This was the guy who had put all the courage inside of him to even think that he might be the kind of warrior who could cross a river with a million people and start to take on some big giants. And suddenly the guy who has mentored him is gone. I know Father's Day is tough for many of us here. You haven't had that mentoring. You haven't had that sense of of love. You haven't had that sense of affirmation. Nobody put you to bed quite like I've just described. Joshua is probably going through some of these deep moments of pain and and, and soul-searching in this moment. He's not only facing the loss of a father figure, he's also facing his deepest fears. He's done this before. There's nothing more powerful to do paralyze our souls than to go through repeat failure. 
And there's no one in this room who hasn't got repeat failure that lives inside of them. I've tried this. I try to quit. I try to go there. I've done it so many times. If I try again, all I'm doing is setting myself up to fail again. And so inside of each one of us are these wounds that we live with. And Joshua is one of the only men in the scriptures who has no overt sin that's written about him. You can't find, in, 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 the, in the whole of scripture, you can't find something that you look at Joshua and they say, you know, like David had Bathsheba and, uh, and Abraham disowned his wife and you've got all these crazy biblical stories. Joshua is one of the few guys, in fact, I think the only guy, who has overtly made no big mistakes. I, I wonder if it was because maybe he learned to go inward well, to face his wounds and his sins really well. wonder if that could be why Joshua has this amazing sense of, of, of courage to move forward. Because he could face his, his father wounds. He could face his fears. He could face up to the fact that he had tried it before and failed. And now he's going to take them back again. What are some of those things where you go, you know, I've tried this thing. Maybe it's in your marriage. It's in a relationship. I've tried to, to reconcile. I've tried to get redemption in this relational strain, and it's just not worked. And there's this need to, to go inwards and to find fresh courage to be able to forgive again, to, to love again. Maybe it's to face that sin again that just keeps popping up. Do you know that uh, you're five times more likely to go to prison if you haven't got a father figure in your life? The amazing thing is that so many, there's so much fatherlessness because fathers aren't willing to go inwards. They aren't willing to face the fact that they are wounded and sinful. Wounds need healing. Sins need repenting. If we've got wounds in our souls, we need to get some people to help us face them. We need the help of Jesus Christ to face the wounds of the lack of love, the lack of fatherlessness, uh, the, the fatherlessness in our lives, the, the pain that we've been through, the rejection we've faced. I mentioned our life group last week. We're, we're going through this beautiful journey and we're listening to the stories of, of each of the men in our community and realizing we're a wounded group of warriors. But we're also going to be uh, healers. We're going to be wounded healers in time because of the fact that we're able to go there. And we're letting God heal us. You can't avoid it, I'm afraid. It's part of our curriculum for courage. It's a frontier of courage that we go there. Some of us, it's just obvious sin we've got to deal with. If you're dealing and struggling through porn, or you're dealing with other addictions, whether it's alcohol or drugs, the point is, is this is the safest place to get some help and to start facing these inner battles. Wounds need healing, sins need repenting, and all of it, we need each other. And so we move forward into these uh, frontiers of courage. The next frontier of courage is peoplewood. It's not just inward, it's not just outward, but it's peoplewood. I'm a pastor, I know that we're complicated people. And I know that often we either tend towards uh, wanting to crush people and just bulldoze them, or to just isolate and run away. And the point is, is we live in a society where it is simply really, really difficult to face people in a wise and loving way. It says, now then, you and all these people, 
Isn't it an interesting thing? And in verse 10, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people. He had to lead people. And you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, are always going to be called to love and engage with people. To learn to love and be loved by people. To grow in an ability to take people towards their inheritance. To be the kind of loving men and women who see that not only do I have an inheritance, not only does God have good works prepared in advance for me, not only am I to lay hold of stuff, I am to walk with others because they also have things to lay a hold of. Steve, you've got stuff to lay hold of. And I want to walk with you. And Tertius and Vanda, I want to walk with you. And I want to see you take a hold of the difficult challenges that come ahead in your life to love people well. We're called to love people, to face the difficulties of people. And sometimes we just want to pull away because it's too difficult. And people have let us down, and so trust is so low. But this community... It's a community where we are doing everything, one, to be like 1 Corinthians, to believe the best, and to put trust back into relationships so that we can begin to become an ecosystem of growing trust, of growing love, whereby we are moving towards people and realizing more often than not, it's good, not bad. And as you start to build trust, then actually there's a place called the church where as I move towards people, I grow and I benefit and things do me good, I start to build an ability to become a blessing. And this becomes a space of of generative life. And there is something exponential that starts to happen. But we need to have people with courage. We've got to keep pitching up at Life Group. It's not okay if you pitch up every eighth week and sort of go, you know what, I'm feeling a little tired because we miss out on the good stuff, the inheritance God has for us and for others. We've got to keep serving each other with courage. One of the things Zara prayed in her prayer was she said, thank you, dads, for your discipline, because your discipline is for our good. When you keep pitching up at Life Group, you're loving your kids. The indirect benefits of you surrounding yourself with people who love you and love Jesus have offshoot benefits for three or four generations ahead. You'll never be able to quantify it. You'll never be able to draw exactly straight lines. Just trust me that your health and your example of people with love and courage is going to have implications for years and decades to come. Fourthly, we need forward courage. The next frontier is is just to keep moving forward. He says to Joshua, your territory will extend all the days of your life. Oh my goodness, Lord, really? Can I not just do this for a few years and then find a new job? All the days of your life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Please, Lord, just leave me for a while. Just give me a break, a holiday, sometime. I'll never leave you. Maybe that wasn't all good news for Joshua. Maybe he sometimes thought, God, just leave me for a while. I just want to sit on the hammock, sip a pina colada, and just chill. But he's going, there's land to take. There's stuff to be done. And wherever you go, wherever you set your foot, I will give you that place. God called Joshua to a lifetime of courage to just keep moving forward. Napoleon said, courage isn't having the strength to go on. It's going on when you don't have the strength. I wrote a poem for my 
dad, part of this book we're reading, says that you need to write a letter to your father, no matter how easy or difficult it is and no matter how good or, or, or bad he was as a dad, just write a letter honoring him for the stuff he did do well, help you get some closure, help you honor him. This is a short excerpt out of that. I haven't read it to him, so he might listen to bits of it. Dad, there's more coming. Uh, but this is what it says about this forward courage. Growing bank balances, better schools, more epic travels, more applause. No. Time proves a man. Generous, humble, nurturing love roll from his shores. You see, it might have felt ordinary, even plain at times. But time proves a man. Time, a man, it defines. So thank you, Dad, for the time-proven life that exemplifies to me a real man. You've provided more and poured out love more than I think I ever can. And to be fair, you're better than the unformed desires of a teenage child, self-centered, insecure, and entirely opposite to mild. Now, as I reflect and gratitude fills my now father's, the now father heart of mine, it's not the moments that convince me you're a man so fine. It's days stacked upon days rolling into months, into decade upon decade, of faithful and stable, no frills and no fuss, that humbly cascade. No, not a moment, it's a lifetime you ran. And so I'm convinced that time proves a man. It's a long haul of courage. It's a long haul of waking up to face your stuff. It's a long haul of loving day in and day out. It's a long haul of courage, but time does prove a man and a woman. So I'll land with this final frontier of courage, Godward courage. May sound obvious, but if you and I are going to move forward in courage, one of the most fundamental and important places for us to be courageous is to be courageous towards God himself, to actually trust. Like he said to Joshua, I will never leave you. My presence will go with you. One of the most important things about courage is that it is not courage to show God that you're good. It is not courage to go away and fix things and then prove, look God, I am good. It's courage to fundamentally go towards the God who gives you everything, who is the creator of all, and it is for him that we live. It is him who gives us our inheritance. It is him who calls us into everything that we have. And it's him who went on the cross in the greatest act of courage that humanity has ever seen. It's in Jesus Christ that we see what our Father God is really like. He is the exemplary version of courage. And his courage is unlike any courage in that it is perfect courage. You see, it's in Jesus that the courage we see to live in beautiful fellowship with his Father. It's in that beautiful courage to resist temptation. It's in the beautiful courage to love in all the right places at all the right times. It's remarkable courage. But it's totally brought together and, and laser-focused uh, as he courageously walks closer and closer to the cross. 
And in that moment on, in Gethsemane, he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he's sweating blood. He is going inward. He is going outward. He is going Godward. He is going in every direction he knows possible to find courage for what lies ahead. If you want courage, that is the God courage. The courage that I believe the Bible teaches. It's to go to Jesus Every time we need courage, it's that we find ourselves in him. Joshua is told that he would be, God would go with him wherever he goes. Would you be the kind of person who trusts that God will go with you? And if courage and faith are so integrally linked, can I suggest in landing, maybe the band can make their way up, that courage is not a gift from God, It might be your gift to God. I think so often when we have these moments, we say, God, give us courage. You might find even as I pray just now, I say, God, give us courage. But one of the things I'm realizing more and more about courage is that courage is an expression of trust. God doesn't need to give you courage. God has given you his love so that you can express courage by faith. Because he says, as you live in courage, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. You go and know that I hold your hand. Your courage is an expression of trust that I will be with you. The moment you pick up the phone and say, I have a porn addiction, I need help, you know that on the other side of that phone call, there is a God of love who is holding you and is going to walk with you. The moment you pick up the phone and you say, I need to talk because we need to get right with each other. It's an amazing thought that on the other side and in the middle of that, you've got a God who says, I won't leave you, I won't forsake you. Your courage is a courage that says I'm moving towards the things God has for me because he will be there in it and he'll be there on the other side because he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I want to call us not to wait for feelings of courage before we go, before we do what we need to do. What we need is the promises of God. What we need is the love of God. And as you realize you've got a father who loves you too much to leave you as you are, you've got a father who loves you too much to not take you into your inheritance, to do the things he's called you to do, in that point, you step up and you move towards the difficult moments, despite the fact that everything in you doesn't want to. And you make that call. And you do that thing, and you get up, and you face your stuff, and you say, no, I am not a victim today. The only victim I am is the victim of God's amazing love, that he would die for me, that he would let me be part of his kingdom ventures, that I, this puny little dude on the southern tip of Africa, would have a chance to count in the kingdom of God with all my brokenness. Really? Yes, really, because he loves you. Now stand up and get up. You're not a victim. You are loved and there's something good for you. Now go inward and let your wounds get healed. Now go inward and let your sins be repented of. Now go outward and towards people and love because you've got an inheritance and be courageous because on the other side of that, there's a God who is with you, who will never leave you nor forsake you. And we've got to do this together. I want to ask you to just stand up in your own time. But before you stand up, I want you to stand up as an act of courage. Because 
Courage is always, always going to have an action attached to it. Even if it's getting on your knees to pray, even if it's taking some time out for a prayer walk, there is always an activity that will be associated to your faith courage. And so as we sing this morning, I want you to stand up. And as you stand up, stand up as a way of saying, God, here's my courage. Here's my courage. I am bringing courage today because I know you've called me. You've got a vision for my life. And I want to see that vision. And I want to start moving towards it because it's that good. And I want to live for your glory. You can stand up now. You can stand up in two minutes. But I want you to stand up because you've thought about it. And because you've prayed about it and because your courage is attached to your faith. So, Father, this morning, we thank you that we are victims of your love. That we are caught in the gaze of a God whose eyes, says 2 Chronicles, range throughout the earth. Searching for hearts that are committed. Searching to strengthen hearts that are committed to you. You love to bring strength to us. And Lord, as we stand, we stand because we are people who want to bring our lives, not to, to compensate or to, to give you what you need, but in response to what you've already given us. In response to the fact that you've called us to something great. For some, it might be standing as a first step of trusting Jesus with your, your life. You stand up and you say, God, have this one and only life of mine. You repent of your sins. You invite him to start to heal your wounds. And you join a journey of that kind of transformation. Jesus, today we bring you our courage. We commit to courage by faith. In each and every moment we require it, we choose to step forward. To say what needs to be said. Courage to be silent when we need to be silent. We remember today that time proves a man. Courage to keep moving forward, to keep trusting you. Even as we sing this morning, let it be a moment to stir our courage towards the God who has promised great things over our lives. He's given us an inheritance, a promised land, flourishing life and relationships, transformed friends and family who don't yet know you. Jesus, you've called us. That's part of our inheritance. We lift up those who are not here today, who don't yet know you, and we realize, God, some of our courage is going to be what you use to help them to find and follow you. We commit to courage today, Jesus. We just shake off that identity that we're victims. We shake it off today. We invite your healing.